Orcs like fighting and orcs like being big. There is no sight more menacing in the old world than a war of orcs, goblins, snotlings, trolls and giants. Orc and goblin tribes are led by a war boss, the biggest and loudest member of the tribe. And while the war boss must continually fight for control over the horde, all of that is forgotten during the clamor of battle. Sneaky goblins using poisons and fell beast launch at the enemy, while heavily clad brutish orcs thunder through enemy lines. All the while, monstrous creatures infused by the dinner battle lurch forward to feed on the prey. Hello, welcome to this Orcs and Goblins Army Overview. This is an incredibly exciting book and also a very dense and heavy book. It's arguable that there are at least two different armies in here. You have the Orcs and you have the Goblins, and then you have a myriad of different beasts that you're going to be able to bring along, as well as some amazing war machines. It's also fair to say that I don't think the Orc and Goblin roster has one particular playstyle. You can go very monster heavy if you want, run a load of Lords, big infantry blocks, cavalry armies. You can even bring quite a lot of ranged power. So an Orc and Goblin player is really going to be spoiled for choice on what they're going to pick. This overview gives you some insight into what you might want to play, or maybe even what your opponent's units are going to do if you happen to play against them. As always, I'd love to read your comments. So if you've got any thoughts about how the army is, what you like, what you don't like, and if you think I've got anything wrong, then let me know in the comments below. I'd love to read them. Let's have a look at the special rules for the Orcs and Goblins army. Maybe the most important is the Quell Impetuosity special rule. Many units in this roster are going to have the impetuous special rule, which means if they're going to be able to declare a charge, they're going to do it 50% of the time. However, Quell Impetuosity allows units within six inches to be able to ignore impetuous. Movement is normally the most important rule in Warhammer. Being able to control your units versus them just running off is obviously brilliant, so this is a great special rule. Some characters are going to have the war special rule. Once per game, this allows you to take a leadership test. If the test is passed, this character, their mount, and any unit that they've joined can re-roll any hit rolls of a one and when working out combat resolution are going to be able to add plus one to the combat resolution result either having a big elite melee character or even a unit that's particularly good is going to be hitting on something like threes and allowing them to reroll once they hit is going to be really really good units with a big and special rule are going to add plus one to their strength while they're in combat and they're going to gain armor bane one the difference between strength three and strength four in this game is very significant and being able to go above strength four to strength five is also very very important so this is going to come in clutch especially in several important combats. Some units have choppers, and if they do have the chopper special rule, in a turn in which they charged, they're gonna be able to reroll ones to wound and improve the armor penetration characteristic by one. Even this early into the book, you can see how the multiple stacking special rules of reroll ones to hit, reroll ones to wound, plus one strength, armor bane and armor piercing is particularly awesome. Some units will have the fear elves special rule, which simply means that elves will cause fear against this unit. Some units have the ignore goblin panic special rule. This just means that when a friendly goblin unit is destroyed or runs through it, that this unit can ignore that panic test. In the same vein, some units will have the ignore panic special rule. This means if other units that don't have this special rule within six inches of it break or flee or run through this unit, then they're gonna be able to ignore it. Some units are going to have the war paint special rule. This means that they have a six up ward save but they cannot have any armor with the exception of a shield and lastly some units are going to have the tuskar charge special rule which just means on a turn in which it charged a warboss tusks are going to have plus one to their strength and their armor piercing value the last special rule affects armyless building so before we look at what you can take inside an orcs and goblins roster let's cover it this special rule is called the boys it basically says that for every black orc mob unit you have to have a black orc boss and for every black orc boss you must have a black orc mob unit there's no one that can control black orcs other than a black 
Black Hawk boss, so make sure you have one along. Looking at the army special rules, it definitely feels like the army already wants you to get into combat. Special rules for plus one strength, rerolls to hit, rerolls to wound, all seem very effective. It also seems like this army does not care for the lives of the goblins, which feels very unfair. Stay strong, my goblin brothers. I believe in you. Taking a look at the unique spells in this army, there are four spells. There are two from the Law of Gork and two from the Law of Mork. Looking at the Law of Gork first, the first spell is Brain Burster. This is an assailment spell with a casting value of 10. A single enemy model the Castrians engage in combat with suffers a single strength six hit with multiple wounds D3. No armor saves or regeneration saves are allowed. I think it's fair to say that many orcs love getting into combat, and so having an assailment spell that's gonna do some big damage, especially to enemy heroes, feels really good. The Gaze of Gork is a magic missile, casting value of 9, and its range is 5d6 inches. You draw a straight line the length of 5d6 from the caster's base. Any model, friend or foe, whose base falls under the line suffers a strength 5 hit with an AP of 3. You might have to work really hard to make this spell work very effectively, but if you do, you could do some pretty prodigious damage to your opponent's army. Now let's look at the spells from the Lore of Maw. The first spell is Mork's Curse. It's a hex with a casting value of 8 and a range of 18 inches. It's a remains in play spell, and while the spell is in play, the target enemy unit must reroll any armor save rolls of a natural 6. If you have some big hitter units in your army, like trolls that are already doing a lot of AP, making it so your opponent is going to have to reroll any 6s that they might have is going to be very, very nice. The last spell is Itchy Nuisance, and it's a hex, and it's got a casting value of 9. It's got a range of 15 inches. Until your next start of turn subphase, the target enemy unit suffers a minus D3 modifier to its tough and initiative characteristics to a minimum of one. I personally think this is one of the best spells maybe in the whole game. However, this is going to make most of your army much more effective into a single enemy threat. War Machine template weapons will do even more damage. Small arms fire and especially big combat attacks could really reduce a very elite enemy unit into a softer, much squishier target. Let's have a look at the units that you can take in your Orc and Goblin army. You can have one Black Orc War Boss, Orc War Boss, or Orc Weird Knob for every thousand points in your army. You can have multiple Black Orc Big Bosses, Orc Big Bosses, Orc Weird Boys, Goblin Bosses, Goblin Shamans, Night Goblin Bosses, and Night Goblin Shamans. For core, you can have multiple units of Orc Mobs, Goblin Mobs, Snotling Mobs, Goblin Spider Mobs, and Goblin Wolf Rider mobs. You can have up to one unit of Night Goblin mobs per one Night Goblin Chief or Night Goblin Shaman taken. You can have up to one Night Goblin Squig Herd for every Night Goblin Chief or Night Goblin Shaman that you take. And if your general is a Black Orc boss, you can have one unit of Black Orc mob taken as a core choice. For special, you can have multiple units of Black Orc mobs, Troll mobs, Orc Boar Boy mobs, Orc Boar Chariots, Goblin Wolf Chariots, and Snotling Pump Wagons. You can have up to one unit of Night Goblin Squig Hopper mobs for every Night Goblin Chief or Night Goblin Shaman that you take. And you can have up to two Goblin Bolt Throwers for every thousand points in your army list. In the rare section, you can have multiple Arachnorok Spiders and Giants, up to one Magna Squig per Night Goblin Chief or Night Goblin Shaman that you take. You can have up to one Goblin Rock Lobber per thousand points, and up to one Doom Diver Catapult per 1,000 points. And a single big boss, orc, black orc, goblin, or night goblin in your army may be upgraded to be your battle standard bearer for 25 points. Let's take a look at the characters. And the first units that we're going to look at are the Black Orc bosses. Both the War Boss and the Big Boss have an incredibly impressive stat line. Toughness 5 and comes as standard with full plate armor. The War Boss has got 3 wounds and the Big Boss has got 2. It's fair to say that they feel like frontline melee powerhouses. Before any upgrades, the War Boss has got 4 attacks at strength 5, all at the mighty weapon skill 7. In addition, they have Furious Charge, which is going to give them an extra attack. With a Chopper Special Rule, they're going to be re-rolling 1s to wound, and their weapon will gain an extra 1 to its armor penetration. 
We can upgrade them to have an additional hand weapon or a great weapon and also add a shield. You can also add 100 points of magic items, making a Black Orc boss an incredibly powerful frontline character. You can also put a Black Orc boss on a variety of mounts. If you want to make them part of a cavalry bus, you can put them on a war boar. You can put them on top of a boar chariot. And lastly, if you want to make yourself a melee monster, you can stick them on top of a wyvern. A wyvern is going to add plus one toughness, making it toughness six and add an additional four wounds. So our Black Orc war boss is going to be toughness six, with seven wounds. Mounted on top of a Wyvern, a Black Orc war boss is gonna be an incredibly mobile, very dangerous combat threat. That's not the end of the usefulness though for a Black Orc war boss. They can add a lot to the utility of an army. They have the ability to quell impetuosity in units around them, which is very good, meaning that units are not gonna charge off. They have rally and cry, meaning units within command range are going to be able to make another attempt to rally. And they have the ability to call a war. Finally, the Black Orc big boss can also be your battle standard bearer if you want. Unsurprisingly, a Black Orc war boss is going to be a good frontline character. High initiative and high weapon skill, it's got the initiative to add a lot to combat resolution. And being able to make it so that units around it don't flee feels very effective. Next character is an Orc boss. This is your kind of Build-A-Bear Orc leader. The Orc war boss is toughness five and comes with three wounds. Initially starts off with a hand weapon and light armor. You can upgrade them to have heavy armor and this is where the Build-A-Bear part comes in. Instead of having heavy armor, you can upgrade to having one unit within a thousand points to have the frenzy special rule. And then a frenzied war boss is going to be able to take war paint, which will give you that six up ward save. So effectively, you're able to have a generic war boss or you can have yourself a savage orc war boss. Looking at weapon upgrades from their hand weapon, they can have an additional hand weapon, a great weapon or a cavalry spear if they are mounted. And the normal orc war boss or big boss can be mounted on a war boar, a war boar chariot or a wyvern. Much like the black orc variant, this unit comes with furious charge, ignore goblin panic, rallying cry and the ability to call a war. However, there are a couple of downsides this unit in that it's got the impetuous special rule and it has the lowered leadership of leadership eight versus the black orc war boss which is leadership nine bonus this unit that it has the warband special rule meaning that obviously you can put it inside of a warband unit and gain bonuses from their leadership ultimately i think you're going to need a character that's going to be able to quell the impetuosity in your army as soon as the war boss and the big boss are missing that they feel like a downgrade from what you would get from a black orc war boss i think it's likely that you're going to end up with orc and goblin lists with lots of units in them therefore having wizards to buff those units seems very very practical and the first wizard that we've got in this list is the orc shamans you can have a weird knob if you don't already and you can also have a weird boy honestly the survivabilities on these are actually quite good toughness five on the weird knob and the weird boy is toughness four which is pretty good for a wizard obviously they can't have any armor unless you give them the frenzy special rule in which case they can have war paint for a six up ward save they have access to battle magic elementalism and obviously war magic in built into these characters is the mob rule special rule which if they join a unit that has a unit strength over 10 they're going to be able to have plus one to their casting rolls they also have the warband special rule meaning they can join units with warband as well and if they do end up in combat they have the chopper special rule giving that reroll to wound and also the additional ap on their weapons with unique access to the laura gork spells as well as the war magic spells orc shamans are just force multipliers i think you're going to need them in an orc and goblin army and so i think you're going to see these taken very often if you're looking for a slightly smaller boss you can have the goblin bosses this again comes in the war boss and the big boss version war boss is actually tougher than you might think toughness four with three wounds 
feels pretty good. However, the survivability does not come from the armor. Equipped with nothing to start with, you can upgrade them to have a light armor and shield, but that's about the best you're going to get unless you pay for magic items. Not too bad in combat either, with four attacks base at weapon skill five and strength four. You can upgrade them to have an additional weapon, a great weapon, or you can give them a cavalry spear if they're mounted. If you do mount them, then you can put them on a giant wolf, a gigantic spider, or a wolf chariot. The upgrades for these characters are so cheap and the characters themselves are so cheap that it definitely makes sense to build these like you maybe would build a single dragon ogre or a great eagle. However, they are impetuous, so you'd probably want them near a unit or a character that has quell impetuosity. They have rallying cry, which is good support for your units, as I think many of the orcs and goblin units may well be fleeing. It has the fear elves special rule, which seems a little unfair, but there it is. And lastly, it has the warband special rule, which makes sense a lot for goblins. If you have a lot of goblins, their leadership is going to be much, much higher, and that's going to be especially good for the big bosses that are in those warbands. Ultimately, if you are going goblin heavy in your army, a goblin boss makes a lot of sense, especially if you're putting them inside units to bump up their leadership. If your goblins want some wizardy support, you've got the goblin shamans. The goblin odd knob starts out at level three and can be upgraded to level four. And the goblin odd gear obviously starts at level one and goes up to level two. Access to elementalism and war magic and the ability to generate spells from the law of Morgue. If you wanted a level four goblin shaman, it's still gonna be 165 points. And while I think they're gonna bring a lot of bonuses to a goblin based army, I think you're gonna wanna put them inside either fast cavalry units like on a giant wolf, or you're gonna wanna bury them inside skirmish units to keep them safer. Because you definitely don't want them to be on the front line or in the front ranks of your units, which are probably gonna get charged. If you prefer your goblin bosses to be a little creepier, you can have a night goblin boss. You can have access to a night goblin war boss or a big boss. Big difference between a night goblin boss and a regular goblin boss is that they are slightly lower leadership at leadership six. You have to pay to upgrade them to have light armor and a shield. They fear elves, but they do have hatred against dwarfs. And they also have warband being able to go into units to increase their leadership and also rally and cry, helping units to rally. The cool thing about a night goblin boss is you can mount it on a giant cave squig. While the giant cave squig does have random movement, it's a very cheap upgrade with an additional bunch of attacks, making this into a mini little missile. I think my favorite thing about a night goblin war boss is you can take a hundred points worth of magic items, which is almost double the cost of the unit itself. Ultimately, you're gonna be using this character buried inside of a unit or using them as small little flank chargers or move blockers that you can use against the enemy. Night Goblin Shamans come in two types. You can have a level three up to a level four and a level one up to a level two. Both wizards have access to illusion and war magic. And this is the only way that you can get the illusion spell law into your army. They can drop some of those spells for a spell from the Laura Mork and have the warband special rules so you can bury them inside a big unit if you want. You're gonna see a lot of Night Goblin units. So it makes sense. I think that you're gonna see a lot of Night Goblin Shamans. Let's look at the core units. And the first unit we're gonna look at are Orc Mobs. Toughness four with one wound each. These come as standard equipped with light armor. This is an incredibly upgradable and diverse roster that you can build into loads of different types of units. The unit can be upgraded to have shields if it wants to try and make it a little bit more survivable. And if you wanna make it more offensive, you can give them additional hand weapons. If you do go down that route, then one unit in every thousand points can also be given the frenzy special rule. This means you can give them the war paint upgrade that will get you a six up ward save. And with an additional hand weapon of frenzy, those boys are gonna have three attacks each. If they are frenzied, they can have big stabbers, which is gonna give them impact hits. If you wanna make them into a missile unit, you can replace their hand weapons with war bows. They have the low ballistic skill three, so I don't think they're gonna be particularly effective, but they are quite cheap. If you'd like to try and generate a lot of attacks out of the unit, then you can have thrusting spears. And with all of the upgrades we've talked about previously, you can make one unit in your army have the big gun special rule. This means while they're engaged in combat, they're gonna add plus one to their strength and also armor bane. One unit in your army can also have the skirmishers special rule. So if you want to put a wizard inside of a skirmish unit of orcs and protect them, that's also a nice idea as well. And lastly, obviously, you can upgrade 
upgrade any of these units to also have a full command. And all of these units also are impetuous. So if you don't want them charging off, you're gonna make sure that there is a unit nearby to hold them back. And they're a warband, so they're gonna be able to add on to their pretty low leadership through all of your rank bonuses. The sheer amount of ways that you can build an alt mob is pretty cool. Although some of them are obviously representative of units that have gone in the past, like Savage Orcs. And while their initiative isn't too bad, and if you end up taking additional hand weapons and frenzy for a bunch of extra attacks, you could probably build a legit melee block out of this unit. However, low leadership, unless you have some character support nearby, impetuous, not particularly good armor, and a low weapon skill. I really do struggle with this unit unless you get a lot of spells off to really reinforce how good this unit is gonna be in combat. I'm not even necessarily certain that this is particularly good as an anvil because you've got goblins in this roster and I think they're going to do that job much, much better. However, I'm sure there's some really good loadouts. I like the idea of a skirmishy unit to put a wizard inside of. If you're looking for a shorter fella than those big orc mobs, you can have some goblin mobs. Strength and toughness three with only weapon skill two. The hand weapon and shield that they're equipped with do not strike me as a frontline melee unit. They can upgrade to having light armor in addition, but still, I don't feel particularly comfortable describing them as a frontline melee threat. However, I think they're gonna be particularly good as an anvil. At only three points base, you are gonna be able to get a lot of goblins. And while some units in the old world are definitely gonna be able to dish out a lot of attacks, I think you're gonna be able to just snare up an enemy unit with the amount of bodies and goblins that you can put on the board just because there's just too many to get through. Obviously, leadership is gonna be an issue, and they are leadership five, and they're also warbands, so they're gonna be able to stack up that leadership from their rank bonus. If you did wanna make them more of a defensive block, you can take thrusting spears to be able to get some attacks from previous ranks, because let's be honest, with their low initiative two, it's very unlikely that they are going to be getting attacks in first. If you wanted to make them a missile unit, you can replace their shields with short bows. With only ballistic seal three, they're not gonna be that effective at hitting. However, thanks to the short bows having the volley fire special rule, and you're gonna be able to take a lot of goblins, you're actually going to be able to roll quite a lot of dice. This might be an exercise in just busy work, but it might be quite effective. Whichever loadout you go for, you can take a full command. One unit in every thousand points can have the skirmisher special rule, and one unit in every thousand points can have a magic standard up to 50 points. Because goblins are so cheap, the economies of scale that you can get from things like banners and spells are really going to upgrade the effectiveness of each of these models. But the best bit about the goblin unit is probably the fact that you can take up to three nasty skulkers per unit. Nasty skulkers are considered to be hidden in inside of the unit. And at step 1.1 of the choose to fight and combat subphase, you're able to place these models on the front rank like you would place a character. Consider them to be like an assassin with some pretty aggressive combat punch. They're striking at initiative 10, thanks to the strike first special rule, with two attacks each that have armor bane two. It's a weapon skill four, which is okay for a goblin, but not necessarily good if you're trying to punk an enemy character. And it's only strength three, but if you have casting spells or buffs onto this unit, you could potentially increase that. So goblin mobs are actually quite interesting. I think if any units get into them, they're definitely gonna be able to kill some of the goblins, but you're going to be able to generate a lot of static combat resolution. They're close order, they're infantry, so they're going to be able to have at least three to that combat res. Take a banner, that's four. A BSB, that's five. Take a magic standard for an additional one, that's going to be six. You're probably going to lose that many goblins, but not necessarily all of the time. And even if their job is just to hold up a very aggressive enemy unit, it means you're going to be able to flank charges with your big powerful blocks. However, the unit does have the impetuous special rule, so you are going to have to make sure that you have a unit nearby that keeps it in check. I think it's fair 
fair to compare goblin mobs with night goblin mobs. Don't forget you're going to need a night goblin chief or a night goblin shaman to be able to include one of these as a core choice. This unit is very similar to goblins, however the upgrades you can take is what makes it stand out. They come equipped with hand weapons and shields and you can change them to thrusting spears or to short bows. At weapon skill 2 they're not that great in combat and at ballistic skill 3 they might be able to get a lot of shots off thanks to volley fire. You can take a full command and you can upgrade them to have netters and fanatics and you're going to probably always do this because they're awesome. The netter special rule activates when you get in combat with an enemy unit and at the start of the combat you roll a dice and on a 2 up they have minus 1 to their strength characteristic. However on a roll of a 1 you net yourself and it's minus 1 to yours. What's great about this is it doesn't mean that they're only minus 1 strength against you, they're also minus 1 strength against any other unit that they may be engaged with. So there's even the chance of taking very small units of night goblins with nets just to make it so that other combats go in your favour. For every unit of night goblins you can have up to 3 fanatics and fanatics are awesome. You make a note of which units include any fanatics and you release the fanatics at the start of any turn subphase. This is great because it's not just the start of your turn subphase but it's also the start of the enemies. When you reveal the model you place the model within three inches of the unit that it was concealed in. Then the first time you move this model it moves during the compulsory move subphase and it moves 2d6 in a direction that you choose. After the first turn it's moved it moves in a random direction 2d6 in every following turn. If it moves through a unit you place it so that it can be placed within the closest point at the end of the unit so it's considered to have traveled through it and when it does travel through a unit friend or foe they take d6 strength 5 ap3 hits so you take a really cheap unit of night goblins with three fanatics in your opponent probably knows that they're in there but you can just run forward and block the enemy up and at some point they're going to have to take 3d6 strength 5 hits from your fanatics elite units are probably not going to want to fight big blocks of goblins because they're probably a bit worthless. No offense, goblin players. Those units definitely don't want to get hit by fanatics because they're going to lose a lot of elite models to just an idiot with a ball and a chain. And once released into the world, those fanatics are basically immortal. Thanks to the death of a fanatic special rule, a fanatic model cannot be charged, targeted, or attacked in any way. They can be hit by template weapons or they're at risk of being hit. Additionally, if any natural double one is rolled for its movement or a fanatic moves into difficult, dangerous or impassable terrain of any type, then it's removed from play. I don't know about you, but this is it for me. This is the perfect game of Warhammer. You take a lot of night goblins, you release a lot of fanatics into the middle of the board. Maybe take some wizards with some templates and have them running around as well, some magical vortexes, and you have got the most insane game of Warhammer you're probably ever going to play. Next unit we're gonna look at are goblin spider rider mobs. Not that survivable at Toughness 3, they come equipped with hand weapon and a shield. You can upgrade them to have light armor. They also have low leadership and they are also impetuous. I'm getting these negatives out of the way because I actually think they're quite good. You can change their weapons to either having a cavalry spear or a short bow. Thanks to the spider that they move in, they're quite quick as they're a fast cavalry unit that has moved through cover. And if you were going to charge them, they also have swift stride. But I think the key takeaway for this unit is that it has poisoned attacks. So the spider rider and the giant spider have got poisoned attacks, meaning if you're upgraded to having light bows, you could be pinging away at enemy monsters, trying to roll some sixes to auto wound them. You could also take small smaller units and potentially try to use them to either move block or to again to charge into enemy monsters or higher toughness units to eventually poison attack them. Because thanks to the fact that the spider has an attack and also the rider, you are going to be generating a lot of attacks from the front rank. Upgrade the whole unit to have a full command and also you can have a magic standard of 50 points for one unit per thousand points. I like this unit because you can potentially ping a lot of wounds onto some high toughness stuff for some very cheap points relatively. The next cavalry unit we're going to look at are gold Goblin Wolf Riders. Light cavalry unit, 
both because it's their troop type and also as a description of their stat line. Toughness 3, they come standard with hand weapons and shields. You can upgrade to having light armor, but I don't really think that's what you want to do with this unit. You can make them a missile unit with some short bows and you can upgrade them to having cavalry spears. You can have a full command and one unit in every thousand points can have the feign flight special rule and one unit can have the reserve move special rule and also a magic standard of up to 50 points. Of all of these, I think the reserve move special rule is the most interesting one. Equip this unit with bows and they're gonna be able to move up, shoot and then move away. The reason I think this is particularly good is because you are gonna be able to have a wizard on top of a giant wolf as well. Bury them inside the unit, you're gonna be able to move forward, do some great spells and then move out of range of the enemy counterattack. Feign flight is also gonna help with this if they do get targeted by enemy missile weapons and if they do get charged they also do have fire and flee. They're also a skirmish unit so they're gonna be minus one to hit from range missile weapons but the major downside of this unit is that they are impetuous. So you're gonna have to make sure that you're gonna keep them near a unit that's gonna stop them from just charging in because that's not what you're gonna to wanna to do with your wizard bunker. For every night goblin chief or shaman you can have one unit of night goblin squig herd. This is an incredibly offensive frontline melee unit if not a little fragile. They start out as a unit of five and they come as base with a squig herder. You must take one squig herder for every five squigs that you have inside of a unit. At toughness three and no armor to speak of, they are gonna get peppered by light arms fire. However, once they get into combat, they're gonna do some savage work. Two attacks each at strength five with their huge gob. It's also got AP one and has got armor bane one. It's the two attacks I think that's very impressive because you're gonna get a lot of attacks from that front rank. They also start out at the high initiative four. So on a charge, it's gonna be initiative seven. And they've even got weapon skill four, which while not brilliant, isn't bad at all. While they do have low leadership, you're not gonna have to worry about things like panic tests or terror tests because they're immune to psychology. They're a loner unit, so no other characters are gonna be able to join them unless they have the loner keyword. And they're also impetuous, so they're gonna charge off and start chomping on things unless you put them near a character to slow them down. And in the very fringe case where you're gonna go up against a unit of dwarfs, they have hatred against dwarfs, so you're gonna be able to reroll all those hits. They also have the special rule, squigs go wild. Should a squig herd ever break and flee from combat, the cave squigs will go wild. If the squig herd contains five or more cave squigs, Every unit, friend or foe, within 2d6 of it suffers d3 strength 5 hits with AP of 1. And for every 5 additional cave squigs in the unit, you add plus 1 to that d3. Once all these hits have been resolved, the unit is completely destroyed and it's removed from play. It's very clear that this unit is going to be very good at charging into units that have been held up by your night goblin blocks. They're not going to be very good if they're charged first because they are just going to die in droves. And they are very expensive, so I very much doubt you're going to have very large blocks of these. But thanks to the skirmisher special rule, they're a little bit more survivable against some ranged output. And Getting the perfect charge off with this unit is going to feel wonderful. If goblins aren't small enough for you, you can take yourself some snotling mobs. Snotling mobs are a swarm, and each base has got six wounds each. No armor to speak of, and they are only toughness too. They're immune to psychology though, and they're also unbreakable, so you're going to have to get rid of all of them. They're in the skirmish formation, and they're also impetuous, so they might run off. However, the key takeaway for this unit is that it's got the vanguard special rule. This means you're going to be able to push up some models early to create some screens and barriers between some of the faster enemy units and some of your other pieces. The first special unit we're going to look at are Blackhawk mobs and these are your elite heavy infantry frontline bashers. Strength 4, toughness 4, they come as standard equipped with full plate armor and a hand weapon. You can upgrade them to having a shield so it's going to give you a 3 up armor save straight off the bat on toughness 4 which feels very very nice. In the output department they have one attack each but they do have furious charge so they do have a way of generating an additional attack. You can equip them with an additional hand weapon for 3 attacks if that happens or you can have a great weapon which on top 
top of strength four, strength six is going to be pretty nice. They have that kind of odd initiative value at initiative three, where it doesn't really matter if you have a great weapon if you are charging, and really matters if you have a great weapon if you're being charged. You can have a full command, and you can have a magic standard up to 50 points. And one unit in your army can be upgraded to having the stubborn special rule, and one unit can have the veteran special rule, or a unit can have both. I think the important rule for this unit is that it has the quell impetuosity special rule. This means a unit of black orcs at the center of your army is going to have a large six inch bubble around it to make it so that most of your army doesn't run off. Because of this, it feels like it's kind of a linchpin in the orc and goblin army. And I'd argue that's actually quite good because the unit itself is fairly decent. One of the combinations I really like is having a great weapon and thanks to the chopper special rule, you're going to be strength six and re-rolling any ones to wound. I don't feel like I'm going to set this unit up to be a defensive tanky unit, although I can with a hand weapon and shield. And the fact that you can put the very scary and massively offensive Black Orc boss inside of this unit means it's going to be really, really good. Our next special unit are troll mobs. And these come in three different flavors, although I wouldn't really want to lick a troll. First is a common troll, then we have river trolls, and then we have stone trolls. A river troll has more wounds than the other two, and a stone troll goes from a six up armor save to a five up armor save. The common troll swings at initiative two as opposed to at initiative one. The stone troll has got slightly higher leadership at leadership five. Any of these troll types can have an additional hand weapon or a great weapon. They've all got three attacks, swinging at base strength five and weapon skill three. So if I'm swinging with this unit, I think I already want to have great weapons because I'm already swinging at very low initiative. While they aren't that heavily armored, you do have regeneration five plus on this unit, but they're also flammable. They cause fear in the enemy, but obviously the major downside to this unit is that they have stupid Stupidity. stupidity means you're going to have to make a leadership test just to see if this unit is going to play inside the game. So that means I feel like your Orc and Goblin army is going to be playing in a very concentrated area around the high leadership characters in your army. Lastly, all of the trolls have troll vomit. A troll that's in base contact with an enemy unit makes a troll vomit attack, which is strength three and AP two. I really like the troll unit. They bring high strength attacks to the Orc and Goblin roster, but obviously they have the massive downside in stupidity, which most of the Orc and Goblin roster does because it's impetuous. Also because they're flammable, being able to lose their regeneration, which is their only survivability, is a little bit scary. And I think there's some real math to work out which is the best, but right off my gut, I'm feeling like it's the river trolls, and they're the ones I think I would take in a match at the moment, mainly because they have an additional wound. If you want a big, tough cavalry unit, then look no further than Orc Boar Boy mobs. Standard, they start out at toughness four with light armor and a hand weapon. You can upgrade them to having heavy armor and a shield, and considering the boar has got armored hide, getting a unit that's up to a three up armor save feels quite nice in the Orc and Goblin roster. For attacks, they've only got the one attack. However, they do have Furious Charge, which is gonna give them an additional attack on the charge. This is all only gonna be at strength three. However, you can upgrade them to having cavalry spears if you wish, and the unit obviously can have a full command. If you'd like to improve the unit strength characteristic, you can make the unit biggins. If you'd like to go for weight of attacks, one unit per thousand points can change light armor to frenzy. If they have the frenzy special rule, then they're gonna be able to have a war paint that six up ward save. Not that fast at movement seven, but they have counter charge and swift stride, which feels really good when you obviously combat that with furious charge. Seeing as the spears get bonuses for being on the charge and this unit should be constantly charging, feels like that's the way to go. However, the unit is impetuous, so you're gonna need a way to slow this unit down and make sure it doesn't charge off when you don't want it to. All in all, a really interesting cavalry unit because you can definitely make it so that you have a lot of attacks out of this unit on the charge that can be at a fairly high strength value, especially if you make them biggins. However, like many of the units in the roster, I do feel like you're gonna have to babysit them with some characters. And I don't feel like you really need a very fast mobile tanky unit because that's basically what goblins are there for. So I'm not sure what this unit is gonna do in that role. The first of the two chariots we're gonna look at are the orc boar chariots. They come in units of one, toughness five with four wounds and a four up armor save. The important thing to talk about with this unit is that it has D6 plus one, 
strength five impact hits. These are all gonna benefit from the Tuscore special rule, meaning that those impact hits are gonna have additional AP. It's got the first charge special rule, meaning the first time that it charges in, the enemy unit isn't gonna benefit from its rank bonuses. Uniquely, one unit per thousand points can have the frenzy special rule. And if you'd like to give up your four-up armor save for a six-up ward save, you can, although that would be weird. Unlike other chariots, you can actually get quite a lot of combat resolution from the crew and also the mounts. You can pay to have an additional crew member, and then you obviously have two balls as well. So unlike other chariots, they're going to be able to add to ongoing combat resolution. But like other chariots, probably the main tactic with how to use these is to charge them in to add to ongoing combat resolution for some of your static combats. The Goblin Wolf chariots are a lighter chariot, but they can be in units of one to five. They're all toughness four with three wounds apiece, and they have a five up armor save. They're faster than their Orc Boy chariot cousin in that they're movement nine, and they still got Swift Stride, obviously, so they're going to be able to make long, threatening charges. They don't do as much damage when they do charge in with their impact hits doing D3 plus one, although statistically that's actually more consistent. As standard, they come with just two wolves, but you can upgrade them to have a third wolf, which does increase the base size, but it means you're going to have one additional attack when you get into combat. Overall, you're going to get two Goblin Wolf Chariots for about the same price as you're going to get one Orc Chariot. This will be faster, and this will do more damage on the charge, because it's going to be 2d3 plus 2 versus just a d6 impact hit. However, the Wolf Chariot is impetuous, like most of the other units, and so you're going to have to guard it until it's going to be able to charge in and add to your combat resolution. Keeping with the theme of Chariots, we have Snotly pump wagons. They can be taken in units ranging from one to six. Toughness four, with only three wounds, they have a six-up armor save, so aren't that defensive. However, like the Wolf Chariot, they have impact hits D3 plus one, and seeing as you can have massive units of these, that's a lot of potential impact hits. They also have Armor Bane three, so if you spike really well, you can be running over everyone with your pump wagons. Those impact hits are at slightly lower strength, they're only strength four. But the major issue, or potentially the major bonus with this unit, is that it moves a random movement of 2D6. While this means you can't make as long a charge, it does also mean your opponent is not going to be able to make charge reactions to the movement. You're not going to get a lot of ongoing combat resolution from this unit, obviously, as it's just got a couple of snotlings on board. Being immune to psychology also means this unit's going to ignore panic checks, which is good. So you're just going to use this unit to pump up those combat resolution results. Our next unit is a cavalry unit, and it's Night Goblin Squig Hopper Mobs. This is a pretty aggressive light cavalry unit with a lot of attacks. Toughness 3 with no armor and can be upgraded to have light armor, so not particularly defensive. The Squig Hopper on top has only got one attack at weapon skill two and strength three so not that strong you can, however, upgrade them to have cavalry spears to potentially add a little bit to that. However, the Bounder Squig does have two attacks. These are at strength five, AP one with armor bane. Once this unit gets into combat, it has impact hits one. And getting into combat is gonna be the issue because it is a random movement unit that moves 3d6. Positives are your opponent won't be able to make charge reactions. However, negatives, obviously, you probably aren't gonna roll that high, but in some cases you will, you know, but it is random. They're immune to psychology, which is great for ignoring panic and all other tests. And they're skirmishers, so they're gonna be slightly harder to hit from the enemy missile weapons. The thing I like about this unit is they're all on 25mm bases. This means the impact hits and the large volume of attacks that they have can be concentrated in a much smaller area, which is great. Like many units in this roster, this is a unit that wants to charge and not be charged, but I think they're very competitively priced and I think you're going to see these in lists. The first of our war machines and the last unit in the special section is our goblin bolt thrower. Nothing particularly unique about this bolt thrower other than you can upgrade it to have an orc bully. The orc bully is going to allow the unit to use its leadership of leadership 7 versus its low leadership of 4, meaning these 
units are less likely to run away. Bolt throw has got a pretty good range at 48 inches. It shoots a single shot at strength 6, AP 3, and it does multiple wounds too. The fact that you can have four of these in a 2,000 point match is pretty nice, especially because they're so cheap. Moving over to the rare section, and we'll stick on the theme of War Machines. For every 1,000 points, you can have a Stone Thrower, and this shoots between 12 inches and 60 inches. It fires the 3 inch Blast Template, which is strength 4 and then strength 8 in the center. If you do hit something directly under the center of the template, it's going to take D3 plus 1 wounds. You can build a pretty fast army from the Orcs and Goblin roster. However, if you are taking infantry blocks, they are going to be slower, so it's always nice to have war machines to fire at the opposing enemy's infantry blocks. For 20 points more, you can go from having Stone Thrower to a Doom Diver. The Doom Diver has exactly the same weapon profile as a Stone Thrower, so it's going to be the 3 inch blast template. However, it does have the special rule Doom Diver. This effectively allows you to reposition the template if it does scatter and move it an additional D3 inches. The real question you want to ask yourself when you're choosing between these two units is do you want something that hits more reliably or do you want something that's a little bit cheaper i personally think i would always take the doom diver but i'd have to play a lot more games to see if it's worth it over the stone thrower next you want to look at our mangler squigs and they are pretty awesome in combat Let's get the obvious problem out of the way in that it's a random movement unit. So that means it moves 3d6 inches. The average of that is somewhere between 10 and 11 inches, which is a lot smaller than most monsters or cavalry charges. However, like we've said in the past, your opponent isn't going to be able to make any charge reactions against it. With that out of the way, if it does end up charging into a unit, it has AP3 on its d6 impact hits that are all strength 6, which is pretty awesome. Then for its attack profile, it has d6 attacks that are the strength of the user, which starts out as strength 6, AP2, and then We've all got killing blow. Any weapon skill 4, so against lords and some other characters, it's going to hit a lot worse. However, that's not the end of its combat resolution because it also has D3 stomp attacks. The randomness of this unit is going to mean some people are going to be a little bit cautious about using it. I personally think it's awesome. Its potential, especially if it rolls really well, is wild. Looking at its survivability, it's toughness 5 with 4 wounds and it comes with heavy armor. It's a large target, so it's definitely going to be susceptible to war machines and small arms fire. It's immune to psychology, so you're not going to have to worry about anything affecting it like that. And it has fairly low initiative of initiative three. So hopefully you're charging first with this unit. So it's going to be able to strike before other major threats. And lastly, and I think this is important, it's pretty cheap. It's 95 points. While your opponent is getting stuck on night goblin blocks or trying to fight orc bricks, it's going to have to really worry about the mangler squigs charging it and doing an incredible amount of damage. Getting into the really big monsters and we have got giants. Giant is toughness six with six wounds and has got light armor. It's obviously a large target and that's going to affect its survivability as cannons and other missile weapons are going to be able to target much easier. It has two different types of attack profile. The two types are giant attacks and pick up an attack. For the giant attacks, you target a unit that you are engaged in combat with with and you roll a d6. On a roll of a 1, you do an headbutt and the giant singles out a lone enemy and headbutts them. Is hit and suffers d3 plus 1 wounds with no armor or regeneration saves permitted. On a roll of a 2, you do a belly flop. You place a small 3-inch blast template and its central hole directly over the center of the target unit. Any model, friend or foe, but not including this model whose base lies underneath the template, risks being hit and suffering a single hit. Strength 6 and AP 2. On a roll of a 3 to 4, you do a mighty swing and you do d6 plus 1, strength 7 and AP 2 attack. On a roll of a 5, you thump with a club. You nominate a single model in the fighting rank of the enemy unit. And for this single attack, the giant's club is strength 10 with AP 4 and does multiple wounds D6. On a roll of a 6, you do the jump up and down attack. The target enemy unit suffers D6 plus 1 hits at strength 6 with no armor saves. The randomness of these attacks is going to be a problem. However, it's also the awesome part of running a giant. 
Some of them are particularly cool, like being able to do D6 wounds to an enemy hero. And obviously just being able to jump and put down on a unit or even place a large template on a large brick of models is also very cool. As opposed to doing the giant attacks, you can do the pick up and attacks. To do this, you pick a unit that's either regular infantry or heavy infantry. The opposing unit takes an initiative test and if it's failed, one model in that unit is slain. If the test is passed, the unit dodges out the way and no models are slain. After this, you roll a D6. On a roll of one to three, the giant forgets to make any further attacks. However, on a roll of four, you go through the process again, taking another initiative test to see if a model is slain. This continues until the giant forgets what they're doing or the enemy unit is slain. It's fair to say the giant's randomness is always gonna be an issue for some people. However, it's also gonna be the reason many people take this creature. It's also fairly difficult to get rid of after toughness six with six wounds, but I'm really not sure how much play it will see. Our last monster is the Arachnorok Spider. Pretty survivable at toughness six with seven wounds and as base of four up armor save. However, it's pretty quick. It's movement seven with swift stride. So it's gonna get some charges, although I don't know why the spider at movement eight. It's also got the move through cover special rule, which I think is actually really nice on such a large base model. It's immune to psychology, so you're not gonna have to worry about any tests for it to take, and it does cause terror, so it's definitely gonna be able to cause some other units to run away. The unit has poison attacks, which is pretty nice for the crew, and the Arachnorok Spider itself has got quite a lot of attacks. Six attacks at strength five, all hitting at weapon skill four. One of those attacks can be the Venom Surge, which is the strength as user, which is strength five, AP two, but it does the multiple wounds D6, it's poison attacks, and it has strike first. This is a really nice addition to the unit, meaning even if the enemy monster or unit that you're fighting is charging you, you can get this one single big hit at the start of combat. The unit is also stubborn, which is nice, as you feel like it's gonna stick around in combat a little bit longer, and it can add to combat resolution thanks to its D6 stomp attacks. You can also upgrade it to have the Spider Silk Lobber. This is a stone thrower, which is a five inch template. However, it's only strength four under the hole with AP one, and the rest of the template is strength two. Considering this book has a spell to lower toughness, this feels like maybe there's a nice combo there that you could potentially try to make happen. But otherwise, I would see it just as an expensive upgrade on an already expensive mount. The Arachnorok is definitely very expensive, but I think some of the rules make it quite clutch, and it'll be nice to have this big monstrous thing in the Orc and Goblin roster to charge at the enemy. And that's it for the Orc and Goblin review. And it is a big, big book. There are some standout units. I feel like Black Orc bosses and Black Orcs are very necessary because of the impetuous rule. Being able to quell that impetuosity and make it so your army plays a little bit more how you want it to play feels like almost auto-include. I think it's really difficult to ignore just the pure power of the Night Goblin blocks as well as the Fanatics. And there are some big heavy hitter units in this army. The Arachnorok feels really strong, the Mangler Squigs as well. There's great artillery in the army that's gonna be able to bombard the enemy to make them come towards you. You've got cheap casters and also potentially very mobile casters in the army. And you also have some pretty game-changing and massive spells in the spell law. Overall, I'm pretty impressed with the Orc and Goblin roster. And if I was an Orc and Goblin player, I'd be very excited. However, the prospect of painting that many goblins might fill me with a little bit of dread. I really hope you've enjoyed the video and thank you to everyone on the Squarebase Patreon for helping me create this content. In addition, I'd love to hear what your experiences are with using Orcs and Goblins as a roster, and also what armies you're looking forward to build and what units you're most excited about. Thanks very much, and stay square-based.